Welcome to Our Story, Your Story, the video podcast where we share our personal experiences and invite you to share yours. We are Toby Eunice and Shelley Carney, and together we'll take you on a journey through our lives and the lives of our family, friends, and guests. We believe that everyone has a story to tell, and we can all learn from each other's experiences. So whether you're looking for inspiration, entertainment, or simply a good story, you've come to the right place. Hello and welcome. I'm Shelley Kearney. Tonight we're going to be reading from Chapter 2 of A Gypsy's Kiss. And I'm uh, Toby Eunice. I'm the other half, and I'm not supposed to look at her. People complained that I was looking at her like I was mad. I'm not mad. This is just my serious face. Serious face. He's very serious. I'm very, I'm Toby Eunice, and I'm a very serious person. That's right. So we're going to read Chapter 2, uh, A Gypsy's Kiss, High School Hallway. And we'll get into the theme uh, that is most prevalent in this chapter. And I would like you to think about what that theme might be. And then we'll start telling some stories from our own lives to expand on that theme. So uh, this is interesting because I think you know what the theme of each one of these chapters is. Well, I mean, I read it earlier in the week, but I found three themes in there. Oh, really? Um, some of the stuff uh, you've talked about last week mm-hmm. in our chapter one show. Mm-hmm. So you may go back there and re-listen to that if, uh, you know, there's some stories in here that we don't touch on tonight that because we talked about them last week. All right. All right. Let's go. All right. <clears throat> chapter two, high school hallway. I turned to the right and down the long second floor hallway toward the large window at its end. It faces south, bringing lots of light into the hallway and reflecting it off the polished floors. Some of the boys' high-top Converse shoes make squeaky noises as they hustle by me. I have five minutes to get to my next class and prepare to absorb an understanding of biology from jolly, enthusiastic, pot-bellied Brother William. I use these few minutes to clear my brain of English class as I walk up the hallway, down the stairs, and back down the first floor hallway, following the regulated foot traffic pattern instituted by the St. Michael's administrators. St. Michael's High School caters to day students and boarding students. The day students come from the area in and around Santa Fe. I was born and raised in Santa Fe, and my family lives here, not far from the school but I am at St. Michael's as a boarding student. I should explain that. When I was 11, my father died along with his two brothers in a plane crash. My entire family experienced the trauma of suddenly losing a father and two uncles. As a result, I became angry, mostly at my father for dying, abandoning me, really. I was indignant and resented the unfairness of life. I never got any closure since my brothers sister, cousins, and I could not go to the funeral. Our mothers deemed it too dangerous, the roads slippery with snow and ice due to an out-of-the-ordinary winter storm between Santa Fe and Taos. Taos is where my father and one uncle are buried. They buried our other uncle in Arizona. Anger expressed itself as rebellion. I suppose it was to hide the hurt, fear, and loneliness I didn't admit to anyone bottling it up inside. My mother thought by sending me to seminary in ninth grade, the Catholics would solve her oldest child's 
rebelliousness, and keep me from transferring that unruly behavior to my younger siblings. After about three months, the seminary administrators very politely asked me to leave, saying that I wasn't priestly enough. I'm sure it was because I asked more questions than was comfortable for them and refused to accept their answers of, it's a mystery or it requires faith. I finished my ninth grade year at Our Lady of Guadalupe Junior High School. The following school year, I was sent as a boarding student to St. Michael's High School, about a mile away from my house. Hey, Oscar, will I see you here tomorrow morning? I call out to my friend as he hastens to math class. He signals back with a thumbs up. I have friends, good friends. I'm the lead singer in a cool band and a member of the boys' choir and play tennis and football. I participate in the chess club and forensics team, and I'm a representative to the student council for the sophomore class. I have a girlfriend, Evangeline, blonde hair, blue eyes, smart and pretty. She's a student at Loretto High School, just down the street from St. Michael's. Loretto is an all-girls school. They don't have boarding students, just day students. I have plans to attend Loretto's Spring Mixer with her. All in all, I guess you could say I don't have a bad life, but it isn't a perfect one, and definitely not the one I would have chosen for myself. I know I'm fine on my own, but I miss my family, too. That's what I'm having such a hard time dealing with, I guess. I wish I could see my brothers and sister more often. My brothers and I used to play street football and ride bikes together with our friends. My brother Vincent and I spent our summers on the Santa Fe Plaza, shining the boots worn by the Texas tourists and selling them newspapers. Then we could buy candy and comic books and go to the matinee at the El Paseo movie theater on Saturdays while my mother went to the hair salon. I wish my mother would show up to my football games the way my dad did. I wish I could see my aunts and uncles more often at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and... Oh, yeah, I wish I could see my aunts and uncles more often than at just Thanksgiving, Christmas, and spring break. Freddie and George, two other boarding students from California, exchange waves with me as they meander through the crowd. Their sun-bleached blonde surfer boy surfer boy haircuts bob through the river of white, long-sleeved dress shirts, dark ties, and khaki slacks of the St. Michael's student body. The boarding students at St. Michael's are an interesting lot. They come from wealthy families on the East and West Coast and are here because they are just as rebellious as me. Our parents are all hoping that the Christian brothers can coach some rebelliousness out of us. They make excellent friends because they come from places that, up to now, I've never seen. Listening to them talk about their homes sparks a desire in me to travel to San Diego and San Francisco. I want to go to New York City, too. I want to see the East Coast all the way from Maine to Florida, and I promise myself one day I will. Arriving at the door to my next class, I slow my pace. <sighs> Brother William is standing at the door and greeting us by our last names as we arrive with his cherubic round face beaming with delight. I put my books down and open my biology text to the page I know we'll be discussing. Brother William is pleasant, always happy, and makes learning biology a great deal of fun. It's never hard to be in biology lab with him because he's always excited about dissecting the next small mammal, amphibian, 
large insect or snake. Before the ringing of the second bell, I hear the French accent of Brother Andre. Mardi Gras is coming this Tuesday, Brother William. Indeed, Brother Andre, will you be returning home to celebrate? Mardi Gras translates to Fat Tuesday. It's the day before Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the Catholics' 40-day Lenten season, the somber days of penance that lead into the Easter holidays. Brother Andre comes from a location near the home of the Christian Brothers in Metairie, Louisiana. Since that's where the Brothers are headquartered, Mardi Gras is special to them in a way that makes them smile and sometimes laugh when they talk about it. When it's close to Lent, it will come up as a topic of conversation in class, and they tell us their Mardi Gras stories. None of us, not the day students or the boarders, have ever been to Mardi Gras. But I suspect each of us imagines we must experience it one day. The gleeful moment of conversation between Brother William and Brother Andre, along with the memories it brings to mind, puts a twinkle in Brother William's eye that remains throughout the day's biology class. For me, Mardi Gras is a dream that sounds a lot like our annual Santa Fe Fiesta, but so much bigger and more grand. Our fiesta is three days of parties, family reunions, carnival games, and great fun. The entire town looks forward to it every year. One day, I believe I will make the pilgrimage to Mardi Gras and see for myself what it's all about. We have a picture of Toby in, high, Toby in school, Toby in tank, and Evangeline. And if <laughs> you can kind of see, they're circled. And, and they have their names. So that was the ninth grade graduating class at OLOG. Our Lady of Guadalupe. I have to make a correction. Mm-hmm. My father never saw me play football. Oh. He saw me play baseball. Oh. Football didn't start till high school, but before that I used to play baseball. And he used to go to all my baseball games. I don't think my mother ever has seen me play a sport. <laughs> yeah. I had ever seen it. She didn't go to football uh, and or tennis. I mean, I don't think, I'm trying to think if my mother has ever seen me in any kind of public performance. You know, I think when you were growing up and in, when, in my younger years as well, parents didn't participate didn't, and were not expected to yeah. be a part of their kids' uh, school life. Yeah. You sent them off to school and then you were supposed to be like, okay, I did my job. I got mm-hmm. them to school. And then when they came home again, you know, you they, you had dinner for them, right. and you got them off to bed, and that was it. I think that was I your have job completely. Videos of every game, regardless of who was playing and what sport it was, mm-hmm. and every on stage, you know, mm-hmm. and every trombone. Oh, let's see. And you were a coach for your soccer right. for soccer. Yeah. My husband was coach for the kids' volleyball teams. Mm-hmm. It, we were a lot more involved in our kids' lives, I think. Uh, than our parents yeah. were. Yeah. yeah. And I funny? think maybe we were because we wished our parents had been. Well, I just realized because it said I made a comment about her not showing up to my football games. And I, I guess, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I didn't say it then or now in anger. Right. Uh, but I realized my father never did, didn't. Do you remember a lot of parents coming to games like that? I remember it well because it was a Santa Fe school, so it was like other uh, other um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a Santa Fe school, especially our annual rivalry with uh, Santa Fe High School, uh, which was, I don't know, five times bigger than us. And we'd get our butt speed every year up there at uh, Fort Morsey Field. So, uh, yeah, it was it was like the thing it was like a small town Friday night football, mm -hmm. like even people who weren't parents would show up. Mm -hmm. You know, people that had nothing to do had didn't They've have students in school schools. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, that was and it's but basketball even more so. Basketball was a because we had a great coach. Um, we had a you know state class coach, mm -hmm. even though we were a smaller school, and we won several state championships uh, over time. And we had a during when I was a sophomore, we had a student whose name was Nick Pino, and he happened to be seven feet two inches tall, and. Um, all he had to do is literally stand at one end of the court. You'd throw him the ball and he'd reach up and put it in the basket. So it's pretty funny. We want so to what do you? I'm sorry, go ahead. What do you feel is the theme, the main theme of this? So I, I think part of it is the theme of, uh, well, for me, it was the expansion of my world. Up until that time, my world consisted of Santa Fe and Taos. Santa Fe, where I'd spent my school year, and uh, Taos, where I spent my summers. And then, and then the Taos summers were always... Uh, at the ranch, right, at my grandmother's ranch. Uh, but now, as a result of uh, influence of the Christian brothers and the boarding students, uh, my world was expanding. I wanted to see other things besides Santa Fe and Taos. Uh, I, I remember up until that point, m the world that I was in, the world that I live in, New Mexico with families there, uh, uh, Santa Fe with my mother's families there, and Taos and my father's family there, that was my world. Now we went on vacations. I remember going to, you know, Disneyland and 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 going to California, going to the beach in California. Those kind of driving vacations, you know. Uh, but my world was expanding as a result of the influence of the combination of the Christian brothers and uh, the boarding students, because they loved talking about where they were from. They always talked about, uh, you know, how difficult it was to live with. Uh, rich parents, you know, who expected so much of you. It's, I mean, they had the, the funniest perspective, you know, like, ugh, they want me to go to Harvard. I hate Harvard, you know, like, really? I'll go to Harvard for you. <laughs> so I think that to me was the expansion of my world would be uh, my main theme in there. What you said that you thought there were three themes in there. What were the other two? Well, the or, one that I, I put in the thumbnail and that I thought was the main thing to me as when we, and this continues throughout the book, but I think we really began to focus on it with this chapter, um, choice, making, being, you know, having the ability to make your own uh -huh. choices. Uh -huh. And as we get older, we get to have uh, more choices. And with, of course, with choices comes responsibility uh -huh. for having made your choices. You chose to go there you chose to do that. Now you have to live with it, right? right. You made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. So um, there are some choices that you were denied, such as uh, going to the funeral. Uh -huh. Now, that was, of course, a combination of the weather uh -huh. and the road conditions and just the way things were back then that they didn't hold funerals until the weather was better. They just didn't do that. Uh -huh. um, and they didn't concern themselves with the children being right. at the funeral. There was it was a, not for the children. Right. It was for the spouse uh -huh. and, you know, the parents or the family that was all adults. So uh, you didn't have that choice there. 
Then you were sent off to seminary and you didn't uh, fit in there. You had too many questions. You weren't accepting the, it's a mystery. It requires faith. You're like, no, that's not a good enough answer. Mm -hmm. You need to explain it better than that. You need to have more evidence. You were very, and because your father had gone to uh, lawyer school, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> he had a Law degree as, right. a, as a degree, had a degree as attorney, is an attorney. He taught you to look for evidence mm -hmm. of things and in to judge it in that way. So, of course, you were going to be asking these kinds of questions, even though your mom had thought you were going to grow up to be a lawyer because your dad was. Mm -hmm. uh, when you had these tendencies, you know, she, that didn't please her that mm -hmm. you would you would be questioning the priests. Well, <laughs> it, it was funny because I do not believe that my father was by nature a religious person. He, he the questions could not have been answered. His questions could not have been answered by religion, but I think he practiced on for my mother's sake mm -hmm. because she was very religious and she didn't question her religion. Yeah. In, well, in any way. And, and that's right. It's not uncommon. But I was very, and I didn't realize this until later in life, that it was very likely that my father was just uh, tolerating her religiosity, you know, in a good and loving way. I, I never saw him complain. He was at church with us every Sunday in suit and tie. And, and that was the way that young men were brought up in that mm -hmm. time anyway, yeah. was that you looked for a woman to take to a wife who was, mm -hmm. you know, religious or, uh, you know, exemplified those qualities that mm -hmm. you would find in a wife and mother mm -hmm. rather than someone you would run around with as a girlfriend. Well, and the other thing about my mother is she had gotten a lot of her, uh, her adventuresomeness out of her system as part of having served in World War II. And by the time she met my dad, they met in like 1947. She was a practical working woman, you know, and uh, and uh, she married a man that was, uh, I think, at least 20 years older. He was 20 years older. And she was his fourth marriage. It was her first, but uh, it was his fourth so uh, they were destined for each other, and I, I believe there was a great deal of love between them. And uh, I think it was good for both of them. It settled him down, and it gave her an opportunity uh, to focus on something that made her happy, you know. Mm -hmm. And he knew that. And, and you know, we, he, uh, they're the most common phrase used between my dad and, well, I, I don't want to say it was the most common, but one of the most common phrases uh, that between my um, that were used between my dad and I was don't tell your mom, <laughs> don't, don't because she wouldn't be happy. Like she wouldn't be happy. He used to take me to that uh, on Thursday afternoons. He'd leave uh, uh, the uh, dealership early, and we'd go to a uh, bar called El Tecolote. It's on the corner of San Francisco and Alameda, I think. And we go down into the basement, and he knew the guy that owned the place, and they would have a running poker game there. Not well, not a continuously running. That they play poker for the evening, and my job was to refresh their beer bottles from the Coke, the one of those old style Coke machines. Instead of having cokes in them, uh, they had beer bottles in them, and uh, I was still dressing in white outfits with little suspenders and, you know, like uh, what's his name, Mazzy. They have Mazzy dressing all the time, and my job was to uh, get the beer. Uh, 
to get the beer out of the Coke bottle machine, open it and take it to them, and they'd give me a quarter tip. And then I'd go, there were barber chairs, and I'd go sit in the barber chairs in my little white outfit, you know, with my little haircut. And... <laughs> Still wearing white today. Yeah, yeah. So back to choices. You, when we wrote this uh, chapter, uh, you talked about that you were sent as a boarding student mm -hmm. to St. Michael's, mm -hmm. and you couldn't really understand why you had to live at the school when your family's home was a mile or so away from your school. You could have gone home every night. Um, you couldn't understand why you were sent away. And I compared that, uh, that you didn't really have the choice there. You, you know, had you been given a choice, would you have chosen to live at St. Mike's? Would you have chosen to stay at home you did miss your mom and your sister and your brothers and uh but at the same time you were developing these stronger bonds with the people you were living with uh -huh. the, the other boys at the school and the christian brothers who were there as well and then i remember you know we talk about um ptsd and you went to vietnam and um you were in combat and you we asked you several times I've heard people ask you and I've asked you, you know, did you have PTSD when you came home? And you said, not really. And part of that is because you had the choice of going. You joined up. You decided you wanted to go to Vietnam. They gave you other choices and you picked it. And you felt like um, because it was your choice, uh -huh. you didn't have that struggle. Whereas when you were sent to St. Mike's as a boarding student, you didn't have that choice. So you had more of a struggle. Why? Uh -huh. Why am I here? Why am I living here? You know, so how do you, how do you correlate those two? So first of all, let, let's talk about, but we'll, we've, we've got to start at the later half. So one of the things that I learned almost immediately in the military is that the military uh, will do anything for somebody that volunteers for something, right? If you volunteer for something, they'll give it. If you volunteer for a combat zone, they'll give it to you. They don't think it's a great idea, but they'll give it to you, right? So I was in a uh, service element, the Army Security Agency, that was, they were constantly reminding us we were in the top 10% of the, of the military, right? And that's why we were there. Five years of service, top scores on our IQ test, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I was chosen for uh, intelligence analyst, not Charlie. At the time, they called it traffic analyst. Um, and so I had a pretty creamy position. Well, several weeks into that, and this is after basic and AIT, several weeks after that, into that, they give you a list of places where you would like to go, where you'd like to be assigned. And because you were agency, it was very likely you were going to be assigned to one of the major consulates, London. Paris, Rome, you know, you name it, you could get there if, and all you had to do was check a box. And they didn't have one for Vietnam. And so down at the bottom, I wrote my own little box and <laughs> wrote my own little Vietnam. And uh, the uh, uh, teacher at the front, who, who was a non-commissioned officer, was picking up the papers. And he looked at them. And of course, I'm at the back of the class. And, um, and he, he says, oh, what do we got here? He had he had a southern accent, but they always exaggerated. What do we got here? Some kind of hero? Is that right, Mr. Eunice? You want to go to V8 now? <laughs> I said, uh, yes, Sergeant. Is that, that's not even on the paper. You had to draw it in. Is that right? 
And I said, uh, yes, uh, it is right. That's what I want to do. And he said, well, I think that's dumb, stupid, but hell, it's your choice. And that's what it was. The, the, one of the most important lessons I learned in my life is that when my father died, I didn't have a choice in the matter. I didn't have a choice of him dying. I didn't have a choice of how he died. I didn't have a choice of whether to go to the funeral or not. All those choices were made for me. And I realized that life is a combination of the choices that you have no choice about, things that happen in your life that you don't have. When you die, when you die, you don't have a choice unless you decide you want to commit suicide, right? There are choices in life that you don't have when you lose the people around you, for example. So you ought to take advantage of when you do have choices. And so once I realized I didn't have the choice to go to St. Michael's, what I had at that point is the choice of what to do with that. Whether just to be angry and waste three years worth of wonderful friendships and uh, wonderful examples of learning from the Christian brothers. And so life after that became very much easier when I realized that A, I don't have choices. I don't have all the choices. But once those choices of which I don't have control are made for me, I do have choices what to do with them. I can either be angry about it the rest of my life, or I can make choices that help me move forward. I chose to leave college in the latter half of my senior year. I chose to join the military. I chose the Army Security Agency. I chose the schools that I wanted. I chose jump school, ranger school, language school, target area orientation. I chose all of those. I chose to go to Vietnam. And when I got back, I chose to be assigned for George G. Meade, the National Security Agency, so that I could go work for them because I knew that when I ETSed out of the Army, I could go uh, go to work directly for the National Security Agency as a civilian at three or four times the salary. So that's, I've always had this conversation with my children, and that is, you have choices. You, your life is all about the combination of choices that are made for you, of which you have no control, and the choices that you make as a result. And, uh, and St. Michael's was my first opportunity to experience that. I could have chosen to be angry, and gone through three years of misery, not gotten, you know, graduated from high school without any learning, or I could choose to go to St. Michael's, enjoy the presence of the Christian brothers who was, they were as good as they could be, um, enjoy the presence of my uh, friendships with both day students and uh, uh, boarding students and enjoy the learning associated with things like tennis and football and chess and debate and student council and model UN and all those things that I chose to do because each one of them was a better learning and growth experience. By the time I was a senior, I was the president of the Young Democrats Club in Santa Fe. That was a choice. And so that idea that you know, there are some choices that are made for you when your parents die, for example. And then the majority of choices in life are your own. And so you decide what choices to make.
So I think that's interesting that you picked that up as a as a theme in this about uh, about choices. What was the other one? The other theme that you... it was just basically grief recovery uh, because this is kind of the beginning of how we started talking about how your father had passed and um, that you became rebellious and it was sort of uh, that again the choices were made for you but you get to choose how to respond uh -huh. to whatever happens uh -huh. to you. And in this case, uh, probably subconsciously, because you're still a kid, uh, you chose to rebel uh -huh. because, hey, my choices were taken away from me and I'm angry about that. And that's, I'm, I'm gonna manifest it by doing you know, this uh -huh. or that, uh, by probably acting more like your dad, even though uh -huh. you thought you were being rebellious, uh -huh. you were probably being more like him than ever. Uh -huh. You know, that's just the way it tends to be. You know, you picked up on all those lawyeristic tendencies and started questioning everything. Uh, there were probably other things that were inherent from him that you started to really manifest in your life as well. Do you think of anything else like that? Well, uh, so one of the questions I would hear him ask he he never i don't ever remember saying him saying what's the evidence for that uh because i think that would have made him sound like a lawyer and like an attorney and i think he wasn't he at that point you know he didn't he didn't study for the bar he didn't take the bar he wanted he wanted a business for his family right um and and i don't mean not only for us but for his brothers and mothers and, and sisters who were all counting on him kind of because it was the oldest to take over um but i uh i think one of the things that i remember him doing all the time rather than saying what evidence do you have for that and and he would do it to me too even in, at my youngest he would say so what's real which part of that is real right which part of that can you touch Right. Which part of that makes it? He asked those kinds of questions. Which part of it is real? And then you, you, I, I could tell as people were going like, ah, Toby, Toby, I need this truck, and I can give you four hundred pounds of pinon for it. Which part is that of that is real? Well, you have a truck, and I have four hundred pounds of pinon. I don't know what I'm going to do with four hundred pounds of pinon. I need, I need eight hundred dollars in cash. But, you know, and, and so that was, he was always had those conversations that were filled with questions. He asked more questions than he talked. And when he talked, when he did say something, it was always important. It was always the answer to the situation. You know, he knew how to do that. And that was a lesson I turned, I took into business with me. I didn't realize it until later, until somebody walked up and they, they asked, why do you always wait till the end? whatever meeting we were having on whatever topic, why do you always wait till the end? And I said, well, I'm just listening. I want to make sure I have an answer that's in line with what we're talking about, you know, but I realized that trait that I inherited that from him because he would ask questions and like a good attorney and not talk. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> well, and so the choices that leads to your responses that leads to uh recovering from grief now that was a long longer process uh -huh. that started uh from when he passed until you said you made amends uh when i came back from an vietnam. understanding of yeah. it when you came back from vietnam and part of that being because you had seen death so much uh -huh. 
you got a better understanding of what it was, mm -hmm. I think. I think, well, that, that was certainly uh, part of it. But the other thing, too, is I was uh, advancing in age. You know, I was getting older. And um, I was getting more realistic about what life was and incorporated into the concept of life is automatically the concept of the end of life. And so that's what was real. What's real? You're going you're gonna to be born, you're going to live a certain number of days, and then you're going to die. And that's what was real. And that wasn't his fault. That wasn't my fault. It wasn't my mother's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It was nobody's fault. It's That's the nature of life. Mm -hmm. It has a beginning, um, real good middle, if you make it that way, and then an end. It's a hero's journey, right? It just doesn't have three chapters at the beginning and, and three chapters at the end. As that little instant starting and that little instant ending. And then there's a whole big middle story in between. Yeah. And it's what you make of it. Did you find any other themes in this, in this uh, chapter that you wanted to uh, uh, the, the one on? The one that I, I can remember going back to was, as we were talking about the chapter, was the expansion of my world. Mm -hmm. Uh, from from Santa Fe to, you know, the, the 65 miles between Santa Fe and Taos and uh, the occasional trip to Pecos. Uh, because a lot of my time was spent on the Rio Grande between Santa Fe and Taos with my father, where my father, you know, loved to fish. And he loved, you know, the places on the Pecos that we go fishing where uh, he did. So it was the expansion of my world and the realization that my world is as good as I would choose it to be. And I can put that in contrast to my brothers and sisters who, and you have to remember, as my daughter always reminds me, they lost their father too. But their choices were not as well resolved. They, they didn't, they made choices. I think you could say that they're, choices were more about short term and yours were mm -hmm. more about long term. And I didn't know it. I was too young to know that at mm -hmm. the time. I didn't know when I was leaving uh, college in my my, my senior year of, uh, you know, in my the last semester of my senior year, I didn't realize that was a long term choice. To me, that was, I just don't want to go back to Santa Fe. You know, mm -hmm. I don't and I don't want to tell my mother I'm not going, I'm not a pre-law student. So, so at the time, it seemed like a short term choice mm -hmm. uh but it was actually much longer term than because it influenced literally that decision uh to join the military pretty much influenced the the direction of the rest of my life so let's get into that a little bit more the di the difference between uh choosing what is good for the short term what feels good what seems right for right now as opposed to um choosing for the long haul, choosing for the rest of your life, the direction that you're going to be going. And, and how do we know when we're making a choice and what, which one it is? Uh, well, if you've ever had a hangover, you know, <laughs> right. And I'm not just talking about the results of a binge the night before. I'm talking about the kind of hangover that comes as a result of you realizing that you made a, a really bad short-term decision. And the hangover might be the result of your body still trying to get rid of the alcohol, or it could be uh, the result of you trying to figure out 
why you decided to marry this guy or this girl or uh, why you got into this house or why you started this business or whatever, right? There's always a hangover associated with a bad decision. Mm. And so when you get that feeling like you, the hangover is your indication that the decision you made just before the hangover was a bad decision. It was not in your own best interest. Yeah, yeah. you don't know it until big. It was what you know more than anything else is not only was it bad, but it was short term and you're suffering the results of it. And if you had said to yourself, you know what? I would love to go get drunk with you guys tonight, but I'm going to take that money and I'm going to put it in the bank. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. That would have been a I'm better... I'm going to go home to my wife and child yeah, instead. Yeah, <laughs> and that would have been so much better a long-term uh, mm -hmm. decision. Yeah. Um, but you did the short-term decision that caused the hangover. And I, uh, the reason this is so easy for me to tell is I used to tell my children this exact same story. But dad, I don't drink. I don't, you know, oh, hell, you were in high school and college, trust me. And I, you know, but um, but I, I said, and I don't mean just an alcoholic hangover, any hangover. The, the, when you, you'll feel a hangover uh, when you uh, realize you just, you just, and the just could be a week or a month or whatever, just made a bad decision because yeah. you get a hangover from it. Hangover could be another word for regrets. Yeah. And what you try as hard as is possible, as, as hard as you can, is to not experience the regret associated with it. When in reality, you should have at least a regret, an amount of regret equal to the amount of time that you spent earning the hangover. Right. Go ahead and let yourself experience the regret, because during the regret, what happens to your mind is your mind is opened up to the possibility of what you have to do to make up for that or to change that or to do something else. The next time somebody says, let's go get blasted. Let's let's take off for a week and go to Miami. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, let's let's steal our uncle's motorcycle and head for Mardi <laughs> Gras. Right. Yeah, And then you experience the hangover. The hangover is, in this case, a, a long train trip back to uh, Santa Fe. And then there's the regret of having done all that and having to explain it to the people that you love and that love you. And that's all good time uh, so that you can start the process of learning how to make better decisions, better choices. And that's how we grow up. Mm -hmm. All right. Hopefully it's how we yeah. grow up because a lot of times some of the bad decisions you make end up in not growing up. So you have to be very cautious about that. Yeah. You want to make sure that you do grow up. That's right. I've been following this case uh, about this young woman who was uh, in college. And what, what started me on, on the trail was uh, YouTube showed me the video of her um, in the hospital with a police officer after, after the accident. She had just killed two people. She had just literally driving drunk with marijuana in her purse in the state that where marijuana is not legal. She just run over two people and her callousness, her behavior was just to the point that the policeman said to her, let me explain this. You're not going back to school tomorrow. You're going to jail tonight. You're going to have to bond out if an attorney will bond you and he explained to it. And as far as I can tell, you're the most pathetic person I've ever met because she, she didn't have any sense of what had just happened. And, and it was beyond just being drunk. Uh, and I don't know what, what touched me. You know, I started the whole, wow, that was a bad choice. And let's see what she does with it now. She went, she tried to go, she tried to get her car fixed. It was totaled. 
Um, she wanted to go back to school. She managed to infuriate all of the students that she went to school with in college because she was just the most important person in the world. Eventually, um, they went to court, and I just found out last April she was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Now she's appealing the case, but that young woman's life is over for all intents and purposes. Eventually, she will serve those 14 years for having killed two people and honestly... It, it could have been longer considering if that judge had seen, if that jury had seen her behavior in the hospital room afterwards, uh, I can't imagine they would be anything but angry, you know? Uh, and I thought to myself, well, there's, there's a good example of someone who didn't learn from a bad choice, showing, never showed regret, never showed anything but the callousness of what's important is what's in store for her she mm -hmm. wants to finish i'm only two weeks away from graduating you know no you're going you're going to jail tonight you don't have a car anymore so i don't know i don't know if that was her fault or her parents fault but something was wrong with the choices that she was making and how was she was whether or not she was experiencing the regret because you have to experience the regret in order to prepare you for whatever learning comes next yeah. And I think we all have to be responsible for our own choices unless we are a child seven and or younger, <laughs> then of course we, we need guidance um, until then. And there has to come a time when what, you know, what choices we make <laughs> are our own responsibility <laughs> and we can't blame our parents uh, because there are, many, many people in the world who have had very hard upbringing, uh, you know, orphans and, you know, just poverty and everything else. Mm -hmm. And yet they have made the choices to rise above all of that and to become somebody and mm -hmm. to, you know, make a real uh, example out of their lives. Mm -hmm. So we know it can be done and we can't blame you know, continue to blame and hold on to our upbringing and say, oh, but, you know, I had all these problems when I was growing up, so that's why I'm a wreck now. No, uh -huh. sorry. The choices you make today are what, you know, happens in your life today. You can't go back and say, well, you know, I when I was three, I, I was abused. Well, <laughs> you're not three anymore. You're 49. So let's deal with today uh -huh. and make the right choices today and stop blaming because blaming isn't going to help you. It's making good choices that helps you. So you read that paragraph where I said my mother had sent me because to St. Michael's because I was being rebellious and I, I literally was asked to leave seminary. Yeah. I just didn't have what it took to be a priest. I was, they, they said that was their phrase. You're not priestly enough. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't think I, I could have told you that, but, uh, <laughs> but after going to St. Mike's, you'd have, you'd have thought that my perception of St. Michael's was uh, negative uh, because of because I was because I was forced to go there. Um, the reality is, I so much enjoyed my time at St. Mike's, and I spoke of it so highly that my oldest son asked to be sent back to Santa Fe so he could go to St. Mike's uh, and graduate from there. So his name would be up there on the sets of pictures that they used to have in the hallways. So it, I've always thought of St. Michael's in a, uh, I, in a very fond way. 
I don't think of St. Michael's in a negative way. And to me, it's where I made some great friends and learned some great lessons and made some great choices. That, that affected me the rest of my life. Yep. So go out and make good choices. That's what it's boiled down to. Now, no, nothing is perfect. Some choices are going to be made for you. You're not going to have any choice in the matter. Uh, but you can make your own choices based on the choices that are made for you. And uh, secondly, uh, if you make a bad choice, experience the hangover, and then uh, deal with the regret, and then learn from the regret and move forward to whatever is next. Try not to make that choice again. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> That's life. All right. Well, that's all we have for this evening. We uh, hope that you got some enlightenment and enjoyment out of tonight's story, chapter two. And, um, you know, if you have any stories you would like to share about choices you made in your life, whether they turned out really well or really poorly, and what you learned from those experiences, we would love to hear from you. So you can write to us at stories at agkmedia.studio, or just leave a comment in the uh, comment box for us. That it? That's all. Thanks for watching tonight. Look forward to seeing you guys again. Thanks for listening to Our Story, Your Story. We hope you enjoyed hearing our stories and those of our guests. We invite you to share your own stories with us by emailing us at stories at agkmedia.studio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, keep telling your story because your story matters.